Section thirty nine of the Red and the Black, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Red and the Black, Volume two by Stendhal. Translated by Horace B. Samuel. Chapter sixty nine. The Intrigue. Castor, sixteen seventy six. A brother has just murdered his sister in the house next to mine. This gentleman had already been guilty of one murder. His father saved his life by causing five hundred crowns to be distributed among the councillors. Locke, Journey in France When she left the bishop's palace, Mathilde did not hesitate to dispatch a courier to Madame de Fervaques. The fear of compromising herself did not stop her for a moment. She entreated her rival to obtain for Monsieur de Frilair an autograph letter from the bishop of Blanc. She went as far as to entreat her to come herself to Besançon with all speed. This was an heroic act on the part of a proud and jealous soul. Acting on Fouquet's advice, she had had the discretion to refrain from mentioning the steps she had taken for Julian. Her presence troubled him enough without that. A better man went face to face with death than he had ever been during his life. He had remorse not only towards Monsieur de la Mort, but also towards Mathilde. Come, he said to himself, there are times when I feel absent-minded and even bored by her society. She is ruining herself on my account, and this is how I reward her. Am I really a scoundrel? This question would have bothered him but little in the days when he was ambitious. In those days he looked upon failure as the only disgrace. His moral discomfort when with Matilde was proportionately emphasized by the fact that he inspired her at this time with the maddest and most extraordinary passion. She talked of nothing but the strange sacrifice that she was ready to make in order to save him, exalted as she was by a sentiment under which she plumed herself to the complete subordination of her pride, she would have liked not to have let a single minute of her life go by without filling it with some extraordinary act, the strangest projects, and ones involving her in the utmost danger, supplied the topics of her long interviews with Julian. The well-paid jailers allowed her to reign over the prison. Matilda's ideas were not limited by the sacrifice of her reputation. She would have thought nothing of making her condition known to society at large, throwing herself on her knees before the king's carriage as it galloped along, in order to ask for Julian's pardon, and thus attracting the attention of the prince, at the risk of being crushed a thousand times over, was one of the least fantastic dreams in which this exalted and courageous imagination chose to indulge. She was certain of being admitted into the reserved portion of the park of St. Cloud through those friends of hers who were employed at the king's court. Julian thought himself somewhat unworthy of so much devotion. As a matter of fact, he was tired of heroism. A simple, naive, and almost timid tenderness was what would have appealed to him, while Matilda's haughty soul, on the other hand, always required the idea of a public and an audience. In the midst of all her anguish and all her fears for the life of that lover whom she was unwilling to survive, she felt a secret need of astonishing the public by the extravagance of her love and the sublimity of her actions. Julian felt irritated at not finding himself touched by all this heroism. What would he have felt if he had known of all the mad ideas with which Matilde overwhelmed the devoted but eminently logical and limited spirit of the good Fouquet? 
he did not know what to find fault with in matilda's devotion for he too would have sacrificed all his fortune and have exposed his life to the greatest risks in order to save julian he was dumbfounded by the quantity of gold which matilda flung away during the first days fouquet who had all the provincial's respect for money was much impressed by the sums she spent in this way he at last discovered that mademoiselle de la mole's projects frequently varied and he was greatly relieved at finding a word with which to express his blame for a character whom he found so exhausting she was changeable there is only a step from this epithet to that of wrong-headed the greatest term of opprobrium known to the provinces it is singular said julian to himself as matilda was going out of his prison one day that i should be so insensible at being the object of so keen a passion and two months ago i adored her i have of course read that the approach of death makes one lose interest in everything but it is awful to feel oneself ungrateful and not to be able to change am i an egoist then he addressed the most humiliating reproaches to himself on this score ambition was dead in his heart another passion had arisen from its ashes he called it remorse at having assassinated madame de renal as a matter of fact he loved her to the point of destruction he experienced a singular happiness on these occasions when being left absolutely alone and without being afraid of being interrupted he could surrender himself completely to the memory of the happy days which he had once passed at verrieres or at vergy the slightest incidents of these days which had fleeted away only too rapidly possessed an irresistible freshness and charm he never gave a thought to his paris successes they bored him these moods which became intensified with every succeeding day were partly guessed by the jealous matilde she realized very clearly that she had to struggle against his love of solitude sometimes with terror in her heart she uttered madame de renal's name she saw julian quiver henceforth her passion had neither bounds nor limit if he dies i will die after him she said to herself in all good faith what will the paris salon say when they see a girl of my own rank carry her adoration for a lover who is condemned to death to such a pitch as this for sentiments like these you must go back to the age of the heroes it was loves of this kind which thrilled the hearts of the century of charles the ninth and henry the third in the midst of her keenest transports when she was clasping julian's head against her heart she would say to herself with horror what is this charming head doomed to fall well she added inflamed by a not unhappy heroism these lips of mine which are now pressing against this pretty hair will be icy cold less than twenty-four hours afterwards thoughts of the awful voluptuousness of such heroic moments gripped her in a compelling embrace the idea of suicide absorbing enough in itself entered that haughty soul to which up to the present it had been so utterly alien and soon reigned over it with an absolute dominion no the blood of my ancestors has not grown tepid in descending to me said matilde proudly to herself i have a favour to ask of you said her lover to her one day put your child out to nurse at verrieres madame de renal will look after the nurse those words of yours are very harsh and matilde paled it is true and i ask your pardon a thousand times exclaimed julian emerging from his reverie and clasping her in his arms after having dried his tears he reverted to his original idea but with greater tact he had given a twist of melancholy philosophy to the conversation he talked of that future of his which was so soon going to close 
one must admit dear one that passions are an accident in life but such accidents only occur in superior souls my son's death would be in reality a happiness for your own proud family and all the servants will realize as much neglect will be the lot of that child of shame and unhappiness i hope that at a time which i do not wish to fix but which nevertheless i am courageous enough to imagine you will obey my last advice you will marry the marquis de croissonnois what dishonoured dishonour cannot attach to a name such as yours you will be a widow and the widow of a madman that is all i will go further my crime will confer no dishonour since it had no money motive perhaps when the time comes for your marriage some philosophic legislator will have so far prevailed on the prejudice of his contemporaries as to have secured the suppression of the death penalty then some friendly voice will say by way of giving an instance why madame de la mole's first husband was a madman but not a wicked man or a criminal it was absurd to have his head cut off so my memory will not be infamous in any way at least after a certain time your position in society your fortune and if you will allow me to say so your genius will make monsieur de croissonnois once he is your husband play a part which he would have never managed to secure unaided he only possesses birth and bravery and those qualities alone though they constituted an accomplished man in seventeen twenty nine are an anachronism a century later on and only give rise to unwarranted pretensions you need other things if you are to place yourself at the head of the youth of france you will take all the help of your firm and enterprising character to the political party which you will make your husband join you may be able to be a successor to the chevreuse and the logueville of the fronde but then dear one the divine fire which animates you at present will have grown a little tepid allow me to tell you he added after many other preparatory phrases that in fifteen years time you will look upon the love you once had for me as a madness which though excusable was a piece of madness all the same he stopped suddenly and became meditative he found himself again confronted with the idea which shocked matilda so much in fifteen years madame de renal will adore my son and you will have forgotten him End of chapter sixty nine